we continually crave comfort in the midst of an uncomfortable world. Yet, are we confident in the course of our efforts? We serve up for ourselves more than we need of what we thought we were missing only to find ourselves empty. Settling in alongside well-worn whims or lackadaisical luxuries that lead to lethargy. We embrace a version of comfort that may momentarily mask our worry, but soon find ourselves bouncing back to what has bound us up. If we have any hope of releasing control of the comfort we've kept wrapped up tight, we'll need to start with surrender. And in surrender to Jesus, we find comfort for life in the kingdom of God. Welcome, everybody. This is episode number two in our seventh season of our series called From Head to Leb, From Head to Heart. And in this series, what we're talking about is how to follow Jesus with not just our knowledge, which is important, but also with our whole being, our emotions, our will, our desires. And we've been going through the Gospel of John in order to do that. In this season, we have, are talking about comfort. And last weekend, if you're with us, I suggested to you that we can find great comfort when we realize that Jesus is our shepherd. So I'm really hoping that this past week you were able to practice that. Just settle down for a little while and think about the fact that he's your shepherd and you are his sheep. Individually and collectively, all his followers belong to him. And in the crazy world that we're living in right now, I don't know about you, but that just gives me quite a bit of comfort to know he's in charge and he's in control. This weekend, I want to continue talking about the comfort that he offers us. And I want to talk to you about an area that we oftentimes feel very uncomfortable about. In other words, it causes a lot of discomfort, especially in these past months. And the way I want to bring it out is to just tell you about a phone call that I received from my dad a couple of weeks ago. I answered the phone, and uh, he seemed kind of distraught on the other end of the line. And I thought, oh, man, what's going on? I said, Dad, are you okay? He said, well, I just got back from Walmart, son. And I knew, you know, that was probably a challenge in itself. And he said, it cost me twice as much for my groceries, my good Dutch, my good Dutch dad. And, uh, and then we had this long conversation about what's going on with inflation and he lives on a, on a fixed income. All he has is his Social Security. He has no other kind of pension or retirement. And, you know, it, it really shaves things really close for him. And I thought to myself, you know, he's not the only one. There are a lot of people. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You go to the gas station and you feel like you're giving away your life savings just to fill your car up these days. And so there's a lot of challenges that are coming for folks individually and collectively when it comes to managing their finances. It's creating a lot of discomfort. And so the, the big question that's kind of out there uh, that I want to pose to us is, does Jesus offer any comfort when it comes to our finances? And the answer to that question is, yes, he does. And there are some clues and those clues are found in John chapter 10. Actually, they're inferred. So, for instance, in John chapter 10, verse 3, Jesus says, 
He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. All right, let's look at another verse. Verse 4 says, After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. And then look at verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me. Now look at those three passages of Scripture out of John 10 where we're talking about Jesus being our shepherd. Is there anything in those verses that is in common? And hopefully you've picked it out by now, but it's this whole concept that Jesus keeps talking about the shepherd and the fact that the shepherd has his own sheep, own flock, own sheep. And that gives us a clue. If we follow the metaphor of Jesus being the shepherd and we are his sheep, the clue to finding comfort when it comes to the whole area of finances can be summed up in this one word, and that word is ownership. Ownership. If we can figure out what ownership is really all about, we can actually find some peace and comfort when it comes to this whole issue of finances. Because the moment you and I step into a faith relationship with Jesus Christ, what we need to understand is that we are surrendering ourselves, our whole selves to him. We become his and he takes over. And ultimately we become dependent on him. Or to put it this way, when I surrender to Jesus, I do so that he can manage my whole life and become the ultimate source of my blessings. Now, I personalize that. Obviously, we could say it about all of us, so he can manage our whole life and become the ultimate source of our blessings as well, because we are also a community of believers. And this is what Jesus the shepherd wants to do. He wants to be the entire source of our being. He wants to be the supplier of all things. What he doesn't want to see happen in our lives is that we become dependent on ourselves, dependent on others, or dependent on our gifts, our abilities, or our possessions, which can easily happen. And when that happens, that leads to what we call idolatry. Now, obviously, God uses others, and God uses money, and God uses our gifts and our abilities and our job and our career and all those things to provide for us and to provide for others and to provide for his mission and vision in the world. But our tendency is to forget that he's the one that gave all those things to us, or he's the one in the background of all those things. And so not being anxious about finances begins by understanding in my heart and my mind that Jesus owns everything. You say, really? Are you sure about that? Let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and look what Paul said. Paul said, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? That's a great question for you and me to answer right now. Do you realize that? that you are not your own. He goes on, he says, you do not belong to yourself for God bought you. Did you know you were bought? God bought you with a high price. How high a price are we talking about? We're talking about his son. We're talking about the blood of Christ. He bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your 
body. And obviously the implication is not only do I need to honor God with my body, but that means that I need to honor God with everything in my life. I need to honor God with my possessions. I need to honor God with the gifts, the abilities, the talents, the relationships, everything in my life and orbiting around my life. That's what I want to bring to God. And I want to honor God with it. So when we start talking about this whole concept of ownership, what we're really dealing with here is a situation where God is saying to us, look, I am the owner, God is the owner, and I want you to be my steward. That is, I want you to steward everything that I am giving to you. I want you to steward your life. I want you to steward your time. I want you to steward your relationships. I want you to steward creation. I want you to steward everything I hand you on my behalf. So I want you to imagine for just a moment that this beautiful, beautiful pie that I have here right now, and it actually feels warm on the bottom like it was just baked, all right, that this represents your life and my life. Isn't that a, isn't that a beautiful life? Look at that. Look at that pie, all right? And uh, this is going to represent everything in our life. And, and I've asked uh, Pastor Kyle to come and join me, and he's going to represent God in this little illustration that I want to do with you. So welcome, Kyle. It's good to see you, I, God. All right, here's how, here's how it works, okay? So first thing is I want to recognize that you gave this to me in the first place, and it doesn't belong to me. It belongs to you. Huh, that's my first step. And I tell you, there's a lot of comfort and being able to say, it's all his. It all belongs to God. It doesn't belong to me. All right. But he gives it back to me. So I also then want to receive what he's given to me with great humility and with a great sense of responsibility because I'm holding what belongs to him, what he purchased with his blood. But then I had the joy of spending my life using this in a way that will glorify God. So there's a sense in which I also hand it back to him again and rejoice that I could do this for him and honor him in that way. And what is awesome about God is he can never be outgiven. So he gives this to me. I give it back to him. And then you know what he does? The Bible tells me that God also rewards me. And I love this, all right, because God is good, right? Mr. Goodbar, God is good. So I get rewarded and I get blessed. And thank you, Cal, for standing in for the Lord. Hope that wasn't too overwhelming for you, all right? So think about that for a minute, all right? God is good. Now let's review those principles together. Here we go, ready? Number one, the steward's responsibility is to recognize and hand over the entire pie to God. You saw me do that. Spiritually speaking, every day I practice this in my life. I discipline myself every single day to recognize that I don't even own myself. And everything I have and everyone in my life has a gift that God has given to me. I recognize that so that my hands aren't like this. Number two. Receive and manage it in a way that trusts, depends on, and pleases God. God's told me how to manage what he's given me. He's told me what pleases him. So I want to make sure that I'm following the instruction book, so to speak, and doing that in a way that honors God. And then number three, rejoice in the rewards that God wants to bless you with. God wants to reward you for having been a faithful steward of 
all that he's given to you and all that he's given to me. Look at this passage of scripture that comes right out of the New Testament in 1 Timothy. Paul says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money. Whew, got to take a time out there and think about it, huh? How about you? I mean, it's so easy to trust in our retirement. It's so easy to trust. You know, the more you have, right, the, the easier it is to depend on that, the more self-sufficient we become. He says, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God because he's the owner, remember, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous, very important word we'll come back to later on, to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they'll be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. That passage is worth memorizing. There's so much good in that passage. There's so much wisdom in that passage. And God's just telling us there's so much waiting for us in the future if we'll simply put our faith and put our trust in him. That reminds me of a story in the Gospels. We have to go to Luke for this story. And it's an incident that happened in Jesus' life in, in Luke chapter 12, when he was teaching a large crowd of people. It says that it, during that experience, a man kind of emerged out of the crowd and confronted Jesus there in Luke chapter 12 and said to him, Rabbi, I need you to settle something for me. I have a dispute with my brother. You see, our father has died and the inheritance is sitting there and he's the elder brother and it's up to him to divide the inheritance, but he's not doing anything about it. Now, in those days, a rabbi could actually do something like that. They could be a judge in that kind of a situation. And so he wants Jesus to, you know, I've been hearing you talk about all these other things, but Jesus, I'm focused on one thing. I want my share of the inheritance. Now listen to how Jesus responds to him. In Luke chapter 12, verse 14, Jesus replied, friend, don't you love Jesus and, and how he approaches people? I mean, he could have been really upset with this guy, uh, but he calls him friend and, and it wasn't sarcastic. Friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, beware, such an important word. And that's a warning, not just to that guy, but to you and to me as well. He says, beware, guard against, that means you gotta be vigilant, you gotta work at this, guard against every kind of greed. All of us, all of us are greedy. We may not all be greedy in the same way, but let's be honest, all of us struggle with greed. So he says, beware of every kind of greed. Life, remember the pie? Life is not measured by what? Here we come back to that word we saw in John 10. Life is not measured by how much you own. In fact, there at one of our campuses or in one of our venues, or if you're watching at home, wherever you are right now, would you just repeat that last phrase with me again? Life is not measured by how much you own. I could hear our campus in Edina doing that. Great job, all right? Life is not measured by how much you own. I just want you to kind of stop 
sit and think about that for a moment because all of us, all of us are tempted to kind of approach life that way. That's all about what I own. Look, God does not evaluate you by your material success. Aren't you glad? God does not evaluate you by your material success. And you know, last weekend we talked a lot about identity. Be careful, don't make your material success or lack of material success form your sense of identity because that's what a materialistic world does. But he does bless you according to how you use it for his purposes. However little or however much, bottom line is God blesses you and me for how we use it, how we manage it for his glory and for his purposes. And it reminds me of um, how important it is to trust God. It reminds me how important it is to keep in mind that life is not about everything that I have because we're constantly thinking about what we have. And so there's a story about this guy and and uh, he was a real penny pincher. And uh, it was a struggle for his wife and family because, you know, he never wanted to really give them much money to, to buy nice things and to have good things because he was always hoarding, always saving. In fact, this guy was, was such a, a, a money pincher that he made his wife promise that when he died, if he died before her, that she would take all the money that he had saved and, and put it in the casket with him. Can you imagine? Well, he died before her. And uh, at the funeral, she was kind of sitting there and her best friend was sitting next to her to lend support and comfort. And they went through the whole service. And right before they, they, they closed the, the casket and, and set the lid down one last time, his wife got up and she walked up there with his big shoe box and she placed it in the casket and walked away as that lid was closed. And she sat down next to her friend and her friend kind of nudged her like this and said, you have got to be kidding me. Don't tell me that you put all that man's cash in the casket. He was such a stingy fool. I can't believe you did that. You didn't do that, did you? And she responded and she says, you know, I made a promise to him and I'm a good Christian. I will not lie. I keep my promises. So I put all his money in my account and I wrote him a check and I put it in that shoebox to be with him. You can't take it with you, right? We don't own it. Denzel Washington said this. It was very interesting. He said, you'll never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. Now, I've been blessed to make hundreds of millions of dollars in my life. Not too many of us can say that. I can't take it with me, right? And neither can you. It's not how much you have, but what you do with what you have. That's what matters. That is what ultimately counts, isn't it? And so Jesus goes on and he says, let me tell you a story. He said, there's a rich man that had a fertile farm that produced fine crops, he said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. Now I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, 
my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. He talks a lot to himself, doesn't he? And what, what do we actually hear him saying to himself? He is saying the mantra of materialism. And the mantra of materialism is if I just get enough, then I'll finally be happy but all of us know in life that we never, ever seem to have enough. And when we think we have enough, then we get paranoid that what we have will be taken away from us. And so we, we fall into this, this belief, this idea that more will make us happier, when in reality, I think a lot of us could say the more we have, the more we worry, the more we get stressed, then it won't be there someday. God doesn't want our joy based on our belongings. He wants our joy based on him. He will always be there for you, and he will always be there for me. But you know, in life, we tend to forget how short it's going to be, especially when you're younger. You know, when you're young, you think you got a really long runway, but it could be cut quick. It could be cut so short. Look what Jesus says over here in verse 20. He says, but God said to that, that man, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything that you worked for? <gasps> then what are you going to do with it? Because you can't take it in a shoebox with you. And then Jesus goes on the next verse and he says this in verse 20 when he says, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. And what does it mean to have a rich relationship with God? It means to live with him as the owner, me as the steward and the manager and managing what he's given me for his glory and for his honor. And you know what that spells? That all comes down to this word, lordship. That's ultimately what we're talking about. Who's going to be the Lord of your life? Who's going to be the Lord of my life? Who's going to be in charge? Who's going to hold it all together, so to speak? Who's it going to belong to? I was thinking of a, a historical story of Ivan the Great, uh, the great Russian conqueror. And he was out conquering all the time. And one day his advisors came to him and they said, you know, Ivan, you've, you've got to get married because if you don't get married, you're not going to have any children. If you don't have any children, you won't, be, you won't have an heir to all your power and all your, all your wealth. And Ivan the Great decided that, you know, he probably should listen to his advisors, but the question is, who am I going to marry? Well, they got together and they talked about it and they decided that it would be good for him to marry the daughter of the king of Greece. So they talked to the king of Greece and his daughter and the king of Greece was more than happy for his daughter to marry Ivan the Great because that would keep Ivan out of his turf, so to speak. But there is one challenge. Ivan the Great would have to become uh, baptized, you know, Greek Orthodox. So Ivan the Great said, sure, no problem. I don't mind getting baptized. And he showed up with 500 of his soldiers, all to get baptized. So you got, you got Ivan the Great, 500 of his soldiers who are going to get baptized. And along with them, guess what? You got 500 priests who are ready to baptize them in the Mediterranean. But there's a little problem. You cannot be in the military at that time and be baptized Greek Orthodox. We have a crisis. What are we going to do? So the priests got together with the king and Ivan the Great. They had a long discussion. And finally, they worked out a solution. All these soldiers would walk into the Mediterranean with Ivan the Great. They would pull their sword out of their sheath. They would hold it up in the air. And 
every part of them would get baptized except for the sword, which would remain out of the air. That's how they got around it. And by the way, don't you think there are a bunch of rust buckets afterwards? My question is simply this. What are you holding out? What are you keeping from God in your life? What is it you don't want God to own? You don't want to give up and let him be in control of. You know, one of the things that we struggle with the most are our material possessions, our finances. We have a hard time really believing that God's in control of those things. You know, and a couple of weeks ago, I talked about the fact that sometimes we behave like Christian atheists. Remember that? Probably that from Pastor Craig Groeschel. The idea is I call myself a Christian, but my behavior denies that. I call myself a Christian, but how I handle my material possessions, how I handle my finances, my belongings, does it add up to, does it equal, yes, wow, he really does believe that God is in control as a result of this. So let me ask you, when you think about surrendering to God, are your children surrendered to him? You know, sometimes we want God to have everything, but not our kids. We want to plan our kids' future, not God. Or how about your career? Is that surrendered to God? Is he in charge of your career? Can you give him control of your career? Or what about your health? Or what about your plans for the future? Or what about your finances? God wants everything. Everything belongs to him. Does everything in your life belong to him? Have you handed everything over to God? Now, I want to I meddle just a little bit now, okay? And I want to I talk about this pie. And I want to talk about it in terms of you thinking about everything that belongs to you, your life, your possessions, your finances, everything that you have. So if we go over to the pie now for just a couple of minutes and take a look at this beautiful uh, pie that's been made for us. Let's imagine this represents your life. You know, in the Old Testament, uh, the people of Israel had a very unique and special relationship with God. And in the Old Testament, God asked them to honor him by giving back a portion of what he had given to them. It was called a tithe. And actually in the Old Testament, a tithe ranged between 20 to 30% scholars tell us. Now, I grew up and I was taught that a tithe was a tenth, a 10% of what God has given us. And so my mom and dad taught us and they modeled tithing. And I heard tithing preached and talked about all the time at church. And I have preached and I have talked about tithing uh, as a pastor throughout our whole, my whole ministry. But you know, when you get in the New Testament, you begin to realize that God's not so interested in a tenth. That was a unique relationship, a covenant relationship that he had with Israel. When you get to the New Testament, it's no longer about a tenth. It's now about generosity, which, you know, for some people, a tenth is not being generous. I mean, that's minuscule compared. But God says, I want you to be generous, and I want you to decide in your heart what's going to be generous. I'm not going to give you a hard and fast rule. Now, for myself, for Marsha and me, we've always used a tenth as our baseline. And then from there, all the extra giving that we do, even to our church, all right, is added on top of that. So we want to learn to be 
generous. We want to practice generosity. And I guess the question I'd like to ask you right now is you think about your relationship to God. Would God look at you and say, oh, you are so generous with me. You are generous with my mission and my vision to bring hope and salvation to this world here, near, and far. You know, one of the key principles that I've discovered, and I think it's very biblical, and it's in the bottom line, whether we're talking Old Testament tithing or New Testament generosity, is this whole idea of giving God the first piece, all right? So we think about a first piece principle. Now, I'm not the best at dishing out pie, all right? But I'm very good at ice cream. Anyway, first piece principle, all right? God gets the first piece. That is a healthy looking piece I've got right there, okay? So God gets the first piece. Look how much is left for me. There's a lot left there. And God says, now, You've decided that's generous. Now take this and, and use it as you need to, to pay your bills, to take care of your needs, to take a vacation, you know, to, to pay for your mortgage, to bless and help others. But you see, we get this thing messed up. Here's what I mean. We have a tendency to start with ourselves first. So maybe, you know, this is my car payment and, um, Maybe this big whopping piece ends up being my mortgage, all right, that I have to pay, all right? Whoops. Like I said, I do not cut pie well, all right? And uh, I don't know, lately you probably noticed that it's not real cheap to uh, buy gas and fill your car up. So, you know, there's a chunk that goes away for the car. Some of you are just cringing as you see me massacre this pie, all right? And then, of course, there's... um, you know, you got to pay taxes, right? Everybody just kind of had that opportunity. And, uh, you know, you thought you had your taxes figured out, but then you discover, wait, 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 wait. I owe even more than I thought I did, all right? So the government gets their fair share. Isn't this fun? And then, uh, you know, then the kids have needs. They got to go to soccer and, and uh, they're involved in different sports. And of course, you got to pay for all the things that they need and travel expenses. And, and then there's clothing and there's budgets and, uh, groceries that need to be bought and all those kinds of things, a little bit of money set aside for vacation. And, and then, oh yes, there's God. And so what happens is we take the crumbs that are kind of left from our pie, right? And we scoop it out and we hand it over to God. Now that was really messy and really ugly. And it wouldn't look this way if I just started with God first. First peace goes to God. And then we can neatly divide it up and use it for God's glory as a result. So when you think about your life and you think about everything you have, if it were a large pie, does God get the first piece? Do you honor him? Does he get the glory? Does he come first? You know, there's a story in the Bible, Mark chapter 14, about a woman who came and anointed Jesus' feet with very costly oil. And the disciples got really grumpy, and they say, you know, that should have been sold and and given to help the poor out. And Jesus calms them down and says, you know, she's actually preparing me for my death, my burial. And he honors her. And he says about her that she gave what she could. 
And for her, what she could give was the thing that Matt, you know, her, her most expensive possession, that, that perfume, that oil that she poured out. She didn't give any more, as a friend of mine says, and she didn't give any less, but she gave what she could. That is such an important statement I want you to remember. Because when it all comes down to it, God just wants you and me to give what we can. Not any more, not any less. And he wants us to do it with a spirit of generosity. With a spirit of joyfulness, with a spirit of of what I would call hilarity, the Bible says. Listen to what is important. Listen to the scripture. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously, we keep running into that word, will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. So I'm not telling you, you and God have to decide. And don't give reluctantly, he says, or in response to pressure, okay? For God loves a person who gives how? cheerfully, and God will generously provide all that you need. Then you'll always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. So how about you? How about you? Are you practicing a life of generosity? Are you giving God your very best? When I see God as the owner, when I honor him as the owner, when I put him first and handle my finances, my belongings the way that God wants me to, I'm telling you what, there is a comfort that comes because I know that he's pleased and that's ultimately all that matters to me. It's not how much I have or how little I have. It's about pleasing God. And it's about It's about what Jesus said about that woman. And that is simply this. She's done what she could. That's all God's asking you to do. It's just simply do what you can do, but do something. You know, this message is a message to remind us of our personal responsibilities and to find personal comfort in our area of finances. But it's also a message that's intended to help us think as a community of believers. Those of you who consider yourself part of Wooddale Church, we are called the body of Christ. It's like we are, it's like we are all together an individual. And so the question for us as the body of Christ is, how are we doing with our giving? And I thought I'd give you a little picture of the pie, so to speak. And we put this graphic up and uh, it looks like a pie, and it just kind of shows how we practice giving at Wooddale Church. So, for instance, we know from people who tell us that they've been around and been with us or tuned in to us over this past year that we have about 5,534 total households. And you can see how the graph breaks out. But one of the concerns I have is that about 55% haven't given anything in this past year. And I'm just wondering if there's a need or concern that we can help you out with? Or is it that in the midst of COVID and everything that has happened, we've kind of gotten out of the habit of giving? I just want you to know that in order for us to truly make a difference here, near, and far, 
we need this, we need this pie. We need all of the pie involved in generously giving toward the ministry of God. And so I want to challenge you. If you've not been giving regularly to ministry here at Wooddale Church, here, near, and far, would you start right now? Remember, it's not how much. It's just what can you give? It's not how much you can give, how little you can give, but what can you do? What can you do? If you would just start with that and ask God and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to give? It would be a great blessing to us and listen to so many people who still need to hear the hope of the gospel. In these next couple of years, we want to touch 30,000 households right around our campuses here in Minneapolis. We want to plant over 30,000 churches in a place in the world where less than 1% of the people know Jesus Christ. And we can't do it if we don't all together work in a generous way of giving back to God a portion of what he's given to us. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for all the gifts you've blessed us with. Thank you for your generosity that has spilled out on us in so many ways. Thank you, Father, that someday we will be with you and you're going to hand us that good bar. You're going to give us that reward for being faithful to you here and now. God, in the midst of some challenging financial times, help us not to forget you. Help us not to make you the last piece, but make you the very first piece. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you.